Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, north of the city of Indianapolis. It's a beautiful day here today. The temperature is going to 60 after three inches of snow yesterday and 25 degrees. We are back to the wonderful Hoosier weather, and we are in springtime here. Welcome to our show. This is our 10th year of our uh, Apple podcast show, and we want to thank the listeners for taking time to listen. And today we have a very special guest, uh, and her name is Debbie Brooks. And Debbie's going to be sp- speaking here in a, in a minute or so, and uh, she'll be telling you a lot about uh, what she does and how interesting a job she has. And uh, we're just honored to have her here, one of the great Spanish teachers in our country, and has been teaching for several years. So, um, be sure to tune in um, coming up in May, I think in about two weeks. We're going to have a special guest who, uh, around this area, I think in central Indiana, is one of the gurus of technology and using technology in the language classes. And she's going to be our next guest uh, in a couple, two or three weeks. And toward the end of May, we're going to have another guest who uh, is a former Spanish teacher who now writes music. So uh, we'll have to be sure to listen for that as well. So without any f- further comment, and uh, I, I thank you again for being a part of our broadcast of listeners and also Apple for uh, helping sponsor the show. So we're going to start with uh, Debbie. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you again, Tom. And it's great to talk to you. And uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your teaching career? Uh, but first, let's go, let's go to the family first. Tell us a little bit about your family, because you have a delightful family. Can you tell everybody about your family? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I've been married for 41 years to my husband, Don, and he's a retired teacher, public school teacher. Um, He's also right now uh, an avid volunteer in our community. He works in food banks and uh, does other things for the community. Um, He went to Michigan State, um, as I did. And um, unfortunately, we tried to have our two kids go to Michigan State. They didn't end up doing that, but they they did very well. I have a daughter who's um, got her um, MBA, and she works in an accounting firm in South Bend. She's married and has our one grandchild, uh, a little girl that's 21 months. Um, My son is married, also lives in uh, Kalamazoo area where he teaches part-time at a college. Um, That is kind of his dream to be a college professor. Uh, He has several masters, but he also has to have a full-time job, so he works at a credit union. So I have two great kids. Um, They both, as I said, they're married and have college degrees, and both took Spanish in high school. Imagine that. Um, (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) All right. So that's awesome. Now, tell can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your uh, background in in education, your teaching, uh, where where you taught at, and where you're at now, and um, that 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 will discuss that a little bit. Okay. Um, well, I went to Michigan State University, and I got a degree in secondary education, um, teaching Spanish. I have a minor in French, and I also have a minor in um, 
English as a second language. Um, so I started out teaching um, in high school mainly, although I did teach some middle school Spanish as well. I taught there for 31 years teaching Spanish um, and French. And the last three years, um, I was the ESL coordinator for my school district, K through 12. So I taught um, a lot of Spanish speaking students. So I took it from the other side. I taught a lot of Spanish speaking students English and I was responsible for K through 12. So that's what I did for the first 34 years of my career. And the last nine, I've been um, just so thrilled. Um, I always wanted to teach college as well. And so I've been teaching at St. Mary's College in uh, Notre Dame, Indiana, or it's near South Bend. I teach uh, mainly the introductory classes, but I enjoy that. And I also have had opportunities there to fill in when they've had some need for, like I was a student teacher advisor there for a year where I um, supervised student teachers. Um, I've taught um, a methodology class for teachers of English as a second language. And I also uh, taught three years there um, in their English language school, which is unfortunately now closed due to declining enrollment. But we had students from all over the world, um, some of them Spanish speaking, but many from um, Asia and um, other parts of the world and the Mideast. So that was a really good experience too. So St. Mary's has been a wonderful experience. Um, it's helped me to continue to learn. Can, and can you tell it, the listeners a little bit about can you tell the listeners a little bit about the um, type of school it is? It's, it's, a, it's an all-women's uh, school, right? Yes, it's, it is. You know, it's, there's not many of those left, I don't believe, but <laughs> it has thrived. Um, it is an all-girls school. Um, it is it's through the Holy Cross Order um, of Sisters, and right across the street is, is the University of Notre Dame, um, they used to be like sister-brother schools, um, and in a sense, they still are. They, students can go to each other's campus to take classes. They have a limit of how many, um, but it is really reciprocal uh, between Notre Dame and, and St. Mary's. And right next door on the other side, there's Holy Cross College. So they're all three interrelated, and they're through the Holy Cross um, do, do you ever meet any teachers from Holy Cross or? Uh... Um, I actually yes, I have met. I have met before. Um, we in the past we've had different um, educational conferencing type of things where we have been able to share. So it's an all girls school, but it's also a very famous, right? Highly rated uh, liberal arts school, right? Liberal it's arts. very rated. Uh, if you like, you know, you the um, what is the, the different rating systems? I'm sorry, I can't remember right now. But U.S. Today and, and some of the newspapers rank, and um, they've been ranked very highly. Now, um, it, it, it's right. Its prime purpose is liberal arts, correct? It's a liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about liberal arts? Why is that? I always <laughs> like to talk to mention that a little bit because. Some of my friends who teach in liberal arts colleges um, constantly are really pushing liberal arts 
colleges and the values of liberal arts and why it's, it's significantly important to have liberal arts and uh, why do you think it is? What What's the best part of it that you see? Well, you know, I think, I think we need still to have well-rounded people who are educated in, in many different areas, not just in um, like business or in science. I mean, I think people have to understand their world and understand their world in more than just one facet. Maybe this is, maybe they're going to be a business person, but it would help them to understand different cultures, you know, history. So I do believe that um, a liberal arts college or liberal arts education is really very necessary for all of us. Um, and if you even look at some of the, the tech um, people that are, you know, so famous now, they, they agree with that. They'll say that they want to hire people who have liberal arts degrees because they want somebody who can think outside the box. Uh, somebody who can understand complex things, who are problem solvers with a basis in more than one learning area. Yes, well said. And uh, what about the um, other languages that are offered at uh, St. Mary's? I, I assume there are other languages, right? Yeah, there are. Let's see, we have Italian, which is one of the big majors um, because there's a Rome program that through St. Mary's and there's also one at Notre Dame that's that's very, very famous. So we have Italian, we have French, we have, uh, let's see, of course, Spanish, we have Chinese, and we have Arabic. I think I got them all. Um, we used to have German. Uh, unfortunately, we don't anymore, but they're hoping to get that back. So you maintain a pretty decent enrollment in all languages, right? I mean, it sounds like it's pretty balanced. I think Spanish is, is by far the largest, largest. enrollment, uh, with Italian being second, and French French being maybe tied with the other two. Um, okay. we are, they're, they're trying to encourage um, improvements in the programs and enlargement of the programs for both Arabic and Chinese. Now, is it a requirement to take language there? Yes, they each student has to have one year, okay. um, one year of a foreign language. No matter the field, they have to take a year. No matter the field, right? Okay. So, so what what are the popular majors there in the, in the college? Um, education is one of the bigger ones. Nursing is definitely one of the bigger ones as well. They do offer um, business administration and what else? Let's see. We have. There's some master's programs now that are becoming popular, too. Some of our education majors afterwards can get a speech therapy. Um, there's a master's in autism, autistic studies or autism studies. But as far as undergrad, there's just, oh, there's, there's um, but some science. There's some different science um, majors and minors that go along with nursing. Um, I think there's x-ray technology. So there is kind of a variety. So there's a lot. Good. Uh -huh. yeah. Now, where did you uh, travel to that got you interested in Spanish? What were your favorite, favorite places to visit? Well, you know, um, I didn't do a lot of traveling until I became a Spanish teacher. Um, but when I was in college, I did spend a semester abroad, and that was in uh, Valencia, Spain which I loved, Valencia. Um, went to the, 
the University of Valencia there for um, a semester. And that really got me, uh, got me into the travel. It got me the travel bug. And so when I became a Spanish teacher, a way that I could travel and also, of course, provide wonderful experiences for students was by taking trips with students. So that's when I really started traveling. I took students to Mexico, I think, seven times in my career, um, Spain a couple times. Um, and I have to say that Mexico was probably, probably well, I can't say that because I, yeah. I love I love Mexico and I also love Spain. I think those are my two favorite countries for different reasons. The rich history of Spain, I mean, is unparalleled. Um, I loved Madrid and all the, you know, all of the history in, in that country. But I also loved in Mexico a lot of the history with, with the native peoples, you know, the Maya and the Aztec. And um, I loved that too. Um, yeah, so that's basically my, well, I've also been to Peru and I've been to Costa Rica. That was through the Sociedad, which I think we'll probably talk about later. Um, so that was a great experience there too, to see those parts of the world. Right. So did, um, back to Valencia, um, and the seed, the seed was, uh, in Valencia, right? The seed. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. In fact, he, he, about that. he um, died there, didn't he? He died in Valencia, I believe, in the battle there. Yeah. So um, Valencia is famous for paella, right? Oh. And I, yeah. I I did a big paella last weekend, right, for oh. a couple friends. And I when I lived in Madrid, these people would show me, and they were from Valencia, and they gave me lessons on how to make paella. And they really were good, and they let me videotape it. So I video, did a video, and over the years, I'd always pop that video in because I always forget sometimes. <laughs> and that, you know, I had all the details to it, but now I've got it down to pretty much an art. But uh, those Valencia folks, they're really good with those paellas, aren't they? Oh, my goodness. I lived with a woman of, of, the, of the family, and she, she was very proud of her paella, and her neighbors would all come, that when they could tell she was cooking it because of the very distinctive, wonderful <laughs> smell. And they would come out of the woodwork, you know, and drop in. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, she would always tell us how every family had their own recipe and nobody would ever give it to the other people. No, they do. They just guard us. Like, that's why I was lucky to get this recipe, right? They taught me how to do it. And then he, he and his wife, and they were both from Valencia and, uh, it's great people, just beautiful people, and uh, I'm very fortunate with that. Um, so, um, did you have a high school teacher you liked a lot that taught Spanish, or did you just kind of grow into getting liking it? Well, um, I did have a wonderful high school teacher, and she and I are still good friends. Um, that's that's just amazing, and I hope maybe she will hear this. Oh, good. Uh, now, what was her name? Uh, her name is Sue Spivey. Spivey, okay. Senora Spivey, I hope you're listening. Thank you, thank you. Gracias, gracias. Um, I also had an aunt who was a Spanish teacher, and she lived in San Diego and traveled extensively, of course, being in San Diego. And she would always send me things, and that that got me interested. You know, she would send me magazines. She would send me 
just different things, little artifacts she'd pick up in Mexico. So between Senora Spivey and my Aunt Joan, I thought, you know, this is something I want to look into That's more. Great. So, yeah. so did you have anybody in college, a teacher there, that really motivated you? That was oh, yes. Many, many. Yeah. Michigan State had a great uh, romance languages department when I was there, and they, they still do. But one man in particular, uh, Dr. Pompitello, uh, was he was my um, Chicano lit professor. He was young and creative, and his wife was a French teacher, and they used to uh, have occasional, they would have not, they weren't parties, they would be get-togethers where the students could talk, you know, and in each other's languages, but yeah, it was very human, right? Very human. Yes. Yeah, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? When you're in college, the humanity part, and high school, but every place, you know, the the great teachers that you know, there's something very humane and and human, human about them. They're just they're easy to deal with and talk to, etc. Yeah. Um, so if you had to. Um, uh, talk about uh, your um, what you think. What's the most important thing to teaching a world language? You've done. Okay. You you've evaluated teachers. You've seen two people teach. What what is it that makes sets out an outstanding world language teacher versus a normal world language teacher? That's a good question. And when you sent me that question to, you know, think a little bit about what this would be, this interview would be about, it made me sit down and think. And I came up with, um, I think, at least three things that I think are really essential. Uh, the first thing, the teacher of a foreign language, world languages, has to be curious. They have to have a curiosity. And they have to want to keep learning as well. But they they have to, to see the world as a place that's full of wonder and the different cultures all have value and they also have to keep wanting to learn about them. So I think that's one thing, that curiosity. Another thing, I think a world language teacher has to be elite, as best they can, they have to be creative. Now that doesn't mean you have to be an artist uh, because I can't draw anything, but you have to be able to look at the things around you and see how can I use that to teach. You know, because there's not going to be much of a budget, let's face it. You don't have much of a budget. You're going to have a class, especially if it's high school, full of maybe up to 30 or more students. They're all different. Some have learning disabilities. Some have this problem. Some have that problem. So you have to learn to use what you have to try to reach them, to try to, to connect. So curiosity, creativity. And I think the last thing is, and this goes for any kind of teacher today, you have to be a person who's willing to be persistent and even to be a bit stubborn. Um, you, you, can't, you can't give up. You have to say, all right, I'm not going to give up on this kid or I'm not going to give up on this project or I'm not going to give up on my teaching career, you know, even though there are so many challenges out there. Um, you know, societal challenges, financial challenges. Right now we have, pan, you know, pandemic challenge. So I think if you have curiosity, creativity, and persistence, I think, and the, the knowledge, you know, that you get in a good university program, I think you can, can do well as a world language teacher. Uh, that's outstanding. I'm glad you brought those three, three items up because 
that has taken me to another side here real quick, uh, quickly, uh, for the listeners, and, uh, and uh, Debbie, you might be interested as well. There's a, a Spanish teacher that was on our program in Havana, Cuba, two or three summers ago, and her name was Cristina Rocha, and uh, she taught Spanish in Greece at the International School in, in Athens, Greece. And she was on a Cuba program, and uh, very incredible, incredibly creative person. And uh, one day she sat down with me, and we were talking about the creativity and different things like this, as we just did here. And uh, she said uh, she was interested in, interested in curiosity. And uh, so we talked back and forth and, and uh, about how important it was. And she says, I may do something with that. And I said, I think you should. And she says, I'm going to do something. And I said, you definitely should. And you know what she did? She has a group on Facebook. And it's called Cultivating Curiosity in the World Language Classroom. Check it out. And you can sign up. You can sign up. She started out with three or four members. She now has 622 members. 622 members. And all, from all over the world, it's called, and, and the, the group is called the Cultivating Curiosity in the World Language Classroom. It's a private group, but if you go there, you can get in and uh, join the group. And they have some great posts every day. People, they're very creative people, and they're interested in curiosity. And, and uh, there's a lot of great ideas there every day, just different things about uh, curiosity. So... I would encourage you, listeners, to if you get a chance to go there. Uh, again, it's called Cultivating Curiosity in the World Language Classroom. It's a Facebook group, and you can go there get get involved in it. If you people are interested in curiosity, and and uh, I will say that Christina was one of the most curi- curiosity-driven teachers I have ever met in my life. And, and she, she was well, then that's great. She was off the chart. Uh, with her curiosity and creativity, and uh, and she teaches in Athens, Greece. She's been on the show. She was on twice, and uh, I should probably get her back on again. And because since then, she, she's, her thing is just expand. She's really involved in this this curiosity thing. And uh, but you're right. It, it, it it's the curiosity part that, uh, that that keeps people involved in language, right? And the students yeah. and the curious people do well because you know they they like it and they like the unknown things that happen when you speak a language and uh, you know the, where you just have to risk take. That brings me to my next topic: risk taking. Now, mm-hmm. you were always a risk taker in high school. I remember we talked about this once upon a time, way long time ago. But uh, what about risk taking? Do you think we need to have more risk taking teachers today? Do you think they take enough risk, or do they take too many risk? Hmm, that's a that's a really good question. Well, at the high school level, especially in my peak years when I was teaching, I think teachers did do a lot of risk taking. Um, they didn't settle for the status quo necessarily on how something could be done. I think that was kind of squelched a little um, during during like the late 80s and 90s when this testing thing, you know, really got 
in all the states requiring yeah, test standardized testing. And I think that really took a lot out of teachers. And I think it, I think it's damaged a lot of things in our educational system. Um, just because something's always been done does not mean the way it should be done. You and I know that, you know, we were <laughs> in the sixties and seventies. I think this generation now, like my son's generation, I think they're a little more cautious and maybe not taking risks as much. So I think that's kind of sad. I hope that we get back to where teachers will try to be a little more risk and not, not worry so much about the testing. But that, again, has to be administrative decision through the states and districts, uh, maybe to yes. ease up. Yes, I, I totally agree with what you said, totally. One of the things, remember John, John D'Amato, remember John? Great, great uh, orator, speaker, and, uh, and I think he still does his presentations and things. But anyway, John always talked about um, horizontal learning versus vertical learning. In other words, our teaching. And you could have, if you just do things vertically, it's just like boom, 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 boom. But horizontal is where you, when you let people, the students get involved, right, in the learning mm -hmm. process. That's when you broaden everything. And that's when things, learning becomes uh, uh, totally fun and, and enjoyable, right? You, you have to take time to do some things, right? You have to get off track a little bit and you gotta put new things in and risk take. And, the, and it's those risk taking moments that really make it fun. And I think you're totally right that we probably maybe should do more of that, right? More risk taking and uh, not just have things the same way over and over and over and get involved in monotony uh, sometimes and uh, or covering material. We talked about this before. Oh, yeah. Debbie and I had a, a, quite a long conversation about methodology and teaching before the show. But uh, one of the things we talked about is not to get involved where you have to teach everything like by a syllabus or by, you know, by decree in a department where they say, you got to do this, you have to do that. And uh, I've actually had people uh, mention to me, they'd say, what would you do if you were teaching in a situation like this where they had to just, it was constant all the time. You know, this is a high school and uh, they had to cover all this material in high school. And I told them, Told the guy, said, if I were you, I would quit and go to another school. And he did. And he was happy, happy ever after. He got out of there and went to a place that was humane and human, right? So for people listening out there, if you happen to be in one of those situations in high school, middle school, where you have to just do things by the book every second, uh, don't feel like that's the only game in town, you know? You're a teacher and you can go other places, you know, and do your work. And uh, so I'm glad that you, you brought that up, Debbie. That, that's great on that. Um, so um, let's talk a little bit about studying a World Language Day. It's 2021. You believe it. Importance. <laughs> yeah, yes, I believe it. <laughs> the importance of studying World Language Today, right? And... I, I offer this out as a, a thing. You can talk about this, too. Are we any farther along in the world language classroom teaching um, 
proficiency in language. In other words, somebody takes four years of high school Spanish, somebody takes four years of college Spanish, or four years of French in high school, four years of French in college. They graduate. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the, the non-native teachers, right? Do you think that we are way far along from where we used to be, or are we the same? Or are we not as good as we used to be? That's a good question. Well, my, my first year of teaching, I was given a textbook that was ALM. Can you believe that? The audio lingual method. <laughs> I remember that book. I think it was red, wasn't it? Wasn't it kind of a weird red-looking book? I remember using that one. The one I had was dusty. It was so old. Um, but, I mean, if we compare that to what we have now, we've definitely come a long ways. But I do think we have a long ways to go. I do think the use of technology can be really, really helpful if it's used correctly. So I think in that way we're ahead. We can have programs where students, and we just actually heard about one in our college the other day that we're hoping to employ for next year, where a student will have like a, a language buddy in another country and they will uh, talk back and forth, you know, a um, certain amount of time a week. I think that's wonderful. It I is. Mean, it they, is. Mm-hmm. You know, they get the, the speaking practice, but they get the culture. They get all kinds of things. So if, if we do use things like that in technology, I think we're better um, than we were. I, I do like from the past, I remember teaching more thematically. And I thought that was really good. And some of the newer textbooks are not doing that so much. The reason I think it was so good is because it was easier to actually connect that language to the student. You know, they could see the benefits of learning a language. For example, if you were doing a theme on going to the supermarket, you know, and they learn vocabulary and grammar and all that to deal with that. So I think, I think if teachers today try to get a, like use, um, do some risk taking and use some different things from different, even different eras of foreign language teaching and try to put it together, I think they will be very successful. Yeah. They can't use the textbook. They just can't yes. use just the textbook. No, no. And uh, one of the, um, the other possibilities, if we're talking about uh, language learning, do you believe that uh, our overseas travel is more now than it was, or should we be doing more of that? You know, I was thinking about that uh, the other day. <clears throat> I was wondering if, if some of my colleagues that I used to teach with, if they're still traveling. And I guess the answer this year is no, but they still have. They still have been traveling. And so I think after this year and the pandemic and all that, I think they should because I think those students get, just get so much value out of trips. Um, I also think schools should do maybe better about um, having some scholarships for for kids because it seems like it's usually the ones that are financially secure backgrounds that get to do these things. And a lot of times it used to really bother me when I would have a student that I really wish they could go, but they couldn't afford it. So yes, I actually have a couple students that traveled on some of the trips that became like, went into international business and one of them ended up marrying the love of his life from South America. So he uses his Spanish, I'm sure, on a daily <laughs> basis. 
So not only is it, you know, good for people going into teaching Spanish, but those trips are, are just great for students of every background. Yeah. And, it, and it also, if the teacher goes as well as you did many years, you took kids and, and I did as well. We often talked about our student trips we used to do. But uh, it's that, that part, that uh, live reality part where they get to go and experience reality alive, right? And, and yeah. surviving every day, trying to survive. And uh, so it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to do that uh, um, I have a little pet peeve. I, I always thought that it, the government, the federal government, if we could just cut down on our bomb making and our uh, war making stuff, we could take a lot of that money and we could have students you know, maybe one semester a year, the government could sponsor the students and they could go to another country and study for a semester in high oh. school and then another semester in college. So oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? And uh, just to get all this, the kids there, because I really be, believe that that would stop a lot of the wars that we get into. You know, if we could just get the people there when they're young and they could see how wonderful the world is and, and we're all in the same boat and we're all human beings, that if they could see that and experience it, we may not have as many wars as we do. You know, and in the long run, it would save us money, you know, because we wouldn't have to have all these bombs and everything. But it probably may be to happen someday. But uh, um, so um, what about your special memories about teaching Spanish? And some of your favorite students, I bet you've got a lot of memories there you like, though, right? And a lot of special students. So you can't, you, you, well, we'll just say one or two, okay? Uh, okay, well, one of them is a Spanish teacher, and she's a Spanish teacher in, in Tennessee. Um, yeah, she was one of those students that they learn in spite of you, not because of you. I mean, her mind was working full speed, and just she was very talented. Um, so she was one of them. But I have so many. Um, another one was that guy I just talked about that's the, and he's made his millions in business and he travels all over and uses his Spanish a lot. Um, I have a, quite a few other ones that maybe had Spanish minors. You know, they went in to either be a teacher or they went in business. And I'm just as thrilled about them because, you know, they're able to use that, that Spanish in whatever area, nursing or whatever area they have chosen to go into. Um, I I have to say, one of my some of my best best memories were from being in Sociedad Honoraria Hispanica. Okay, we'll we'll get to that in a second, right? What? I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, I just wanted to bring another quick topic sidelight up here. So, I hearing you talk and and I noticed quite honestly all the great teachers and that we've had we've had yourself and and other great teachers on the show and. They all have a passion for what they do, right? I mean, you have this passion. It's obvious about teaching and traveling and interest in the kids and all the culture, etc. So, how do you develop that? Did you just get that way? Did you just get that way, or did um, do you think you learned that, or were you always that way? Well, let me tell you, I really wasn't. Well, I didn't want to become a teacher until I had 
I think one of the best teachers I've ever had. And she was an English teacher and she was in high school and she respected students. She, speaking of passion, I mean, she made everybody want to read Shakespeare, if you can believe that. I mean, she just was, she was amazing. So she was such a good model for me. And my Spanish teacher was excellent too. But when I, I wrote her a letter one time, um, I don't know, I've been teaching maybe 10 years and I told her, you know, how much of a difference she made, you know, and it was watching her and yes, watching her. That, yeah. That's great. And it depends if you have some passionate teachers that really connect with the students across the board, you learn, you learn that watching it. You're right. I had a, a, a high school teacher. She was a, a nun. I went to a Catholic high school and uh, her name was Sister Kevin. And uh, she was uh, an incredible English teacher. So I had her for Shakespeare. And we had to memorize Shakespeare in high school. Mm -hmm. So we memorized parts of Macbeth, which I still it's, I still have in my brain. And she made it so fun to say this, you know. And I, and, and I go out sometimes with people and they'll say, do you ever remember any stuff you had? And I said, I do. But we had to memorize from Macbeth, you know. And, uh, but the same thing, people that inspire and these passionate people that we have along the way uh, have such an impact, right, on what we do. It's incredible. And it's like you and all the teachers listening out there, you don't realize the impact you have with the kids. And down the road, you meet them someday. And uh, I remember one student I had that was kind of, uh, the school I was teaching at was, uh, at that time, was a middle school. And it was a challenging place to teach. We had some kids that came from uh, some um, lower-income families, etc. And I had one kid who always gave me trouble. <laughs> and he was in seventh grade. And then he took Spanish in eighth grade. And I was, then he's coming back in ninth grade. And I'm going, oh, he's back again, you know. So anyway, uh, so it, it was, I, I had him for three years and kind of gave me trouble. I won't mention who it was, but. One day I was at a Pacer basketball game watching. I'm a crazy fan for the Pacers. And so I was at the basketball game. I was out getting a Coke at halftime. And I was standing out in the aisle, the, the lobby out there. And this guy yelled at me. He said, Senor Alsop, como estas? And I'm going, oh, no. And, and I remembered his voice even. And I always remembered him, you know. And he became a policeman. He's a policeman. And I'm going, whoa. And I said, you're kidding. And he says, no, I'm a police. I said, that's great, you know. And then I had another gal uh, from the same school who became, uh, she is in real estate, one of the top real estate people in Indiana probably. And she made, had great success coming out of a school where you would think stuff like that doesn't happen. And that's why I still have a big special affinity to teachers teaching in tough, tough schools uh, in the poverty area type places because there's some brilliant kids there that come out of there and you can never underestimate those kids. Um, so let's talk a little bit about SHH. Um, so um, you go ahead, you can tell us about your experiences with SHH because that's where I met Debbie. And this goes back along, when was that? That's a way back. I can't remember. <laughs> 25 years? That's maybe? probably 25 years ago, yes. Oh, yeah. 
Um, well, SHH is, uh, if you're not sure, if the listener's not sure, it's Sociedad Honoraria Hispanica, and it's Spanish Honor Society um, for high school. And you, you know, establish a club in the high school, and then you um, become a partner of this, Sociedad, which is kind of it's under the umbrella of um, American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese, so um, under AATSP. So I got involved because the teacher that I took over uh, from when I when she retired, um, she was um, a very important part of that organization. So I got involved, and we, you know, we had trips. As I said, um, after a few years, we started having trips. Um, the students did all kinds of cultural things. We had, you know, we went Christmas caroling in Spanish. We did all those kinds of things as well um, for fundraising. We did some of the things to make money for trips. But because I was involved in SHH, I got to make those trips and got to see the world, um, actually, and it also then allow the students to go on those trips to see the world. Um, I eventually got interested in things at the state level, and there was an opening for a state director um, in Michigan. So I just took a risk, risk-taking here. I took a risk, and I tried, and I got it. And so I became the state director, and that gave me some contact with some wonderful people like Tom and other people in the organization. And then I, eventually there was an opening in the regional uh, for regional director. And I uh, applied for that and ran for that and got that. And then that was even better because then I got to go to conferences and meet these people that I read about like Tom and like other people that had vast experience and had, all kinds of things to share with me. Um, uh, you know, so I really feel I was enriched by that organization to a large, large yeah. degree. And, it, and, and it's such a great organization because they, they recognize excellence in, in Spanish learning. The, the students can win trips, awards, uh, scholarships, and, uh, and the great people that worked, uh, work and, worked and still work for the Sociedad Hispanica um, hats off to everybody who keeps that great organization going and all uh, Debbie and all the great people we work with. Uh, there was uh, uh, Judy and, and Gladys and uh, John Temple and just a bunch of great, wonderful people and uh, over the years. And Adriana, of course, and uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Alice. Alice. Vida. Vida. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we had a great bunch of folks, and we had such a great time. We always had fun, and uh, I remember I'd always get stuck to do the pictures, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd end up taking the pictures at the conference every year, and uh, it was great fun. We just had such a great time, and uh, some of the great teaching minds of the of the day at the at the time, and probably of all time, a lot of them, some of the great teachers. Um, um, and you were certainly outstanding. You know, you were just, it was so good to have you on the board and, and all your great work that you were doing teaching and then on, with the Sociedad. It was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but you did fabulous. Um, the other uh, thing I wanted to ask you about is what are your favorite teaching strategies in 2021? 
Okay. Oh, boy. There's... I like to use realia for one thing. I just love to use things that are real that students can connect with. And I guess that's the most important thing about... about I, I, Kevin, I want to stop for a second, just a second and interrupt. And I hope everybody's listening to this. Please pay attention. This is really important for you young teachers, the t use of realia in the classroom. And, uh, and uh, Debbie's has been a master at that. I'm just going to tell you in a minute here what that involves because it is so important. Yeah, Debbie, go ahead. Yeah, the, the most important thing really is, is connecting with the students and connecting them with the subject you're trying to teach. So using realia of many different types um, can really help you do that. By realia, I mean you can find, and, and these things don't cost that much either. If you go online, you can find ads and you can screenshot it and you can save it and ads for, let's say, um, department stores, yeah, for clothes. When you're in a clothing unit, you can get like these sales things, catalog type things online. You can also, um, if you're in a large city and there's a Spanish-speaking newspaper available, that you can definitely take advantage of that. You can make copies of articles, ads, pictures. Um, uh, realia could be uh, when you go on a trip, you know, take magazines, take, I used to, it was funny, I used to go to grocery stores and I'd buy uh, cake mixes, I'd buy all kinds of things that were, you know, real and I would come back and the students, we would have to read the Spanish directions on these mixes and we would make them. So that's, that's using realia too. I would buy shampoo, I would buy all kinds of things and have the students look at the, the labels and read them and understand them. Um, I'm just thinking, any, any kind of product buying or selling you can use as realia. What else would be, oh, music, you know, try to use music, try, uh, get the music that the students are listening to in, in the target country, in the target language. and bring it in. Um, it's so easy now with technology to get on online and get um, some YouTube, you know, with students um, talking about different cities or topics in, in the foreign language. So it does take a little work, but it, the, the benefits will just be amazing because the students will actually pay attention and they will learn at the same time. It will make that language real to them. Like there really are people that use this shampoo, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or they eat, they eat products, right? I used to do, I do cereal boxes. I'd bring those in, cereal boxes and cafe, you know, Nescafe, and they go, oh, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, they have their own companies, you know, they actually make, you know, in Mexico, there are coffee companies, you know, or in España, and you know, it's it's like um, you're right. It's like it's it opens up a new world, right? It really does. The the realia piece. It's very very important. And uh, and going back to travel, and, and again for teachers listening, don't forget to keep traveling. Right? You mm -hmm. always want to visit the country, and if you can't take students, maybe you can go by yourself. But try to get over to the countries because that's where it's happening and it changes every year. The culture changes a tad bit. The, um, the, the culture changes. The uh, language changes. And so uh, it's worthwhile traveling. Super important. Um, now, beautifully said, I love that about the realia piece. Beautiful. What about um, technology? 
Um, do you have to do technology all the time? Well, COVID, right? Did you do a lot of, did you do the hybrid or did you do the, the all virtual type deal? Um, we, we did the hybrid. And so, you know, I was teaching half my class that were in class and the other half I was teaching through Blackboard Collaborate. So it was like a, a system where they were watching and they were able to also participate. Um, so good and bad about that. But technology, uh, fortunately, I went to, I taught my 34 years in high school at a place where they were very advanced in technology. And we had smart boards way before everybody else. Uh, students all had a MacBook in, in the classroom. I mean, they had their own MacBook that they were able to use. So I think technology, really, it is something we, we can't, we can't ignore for sure. And we, we can use it to our benefit. Um, it was challenging for me when we started using, using technology, but there are so many resources out there. One of them is Edutopia, which I'm sure, you know, you've, you've used many times. Edutopia is a place where they, it's kind of like, a, oh, I don't know. It's like a technology uh, to do type of place where they have um, different resources and Recently, I've been thinking about trying something called a Flipgrid. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. It's, they, they have a information on their site where you can use a student's tape, and they talk about different topics, and then they post it, and then another student can... So you can watch other students talking about topics. And uh, Google Tour has something called Google Tour Creator, where you can go and take 360-degree... Um, like short video type sequences of places. And I've used that where um, they have all kinds of these are already done, like in Madrid and Mexico City. They have one from uh, Tenochtitlan and one from uh, Chichen Itza. So I've used them in class and then I've had the students try to talk about them, you know, um, in Spanish. So the, the, the importance of Google is incredible, isn't it? I mean, they have all the, the Google Docs, the Google Apps, the Google Slides, the Google, and it goes on and on and on. And um, just there's so many resources out there. I kind of think the problem is we have to, again, find the happy median, right? Of where, how much technology do we use and how much live thing uh, strategies do we use and which one gives us the most re better result. And uh, those are the, the tough things, right? And uh, it, there's so much, it's just, it's, I, I think the challenge for teachers today is in everything. There is so much out there that, uh, that there wasn't 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And so you have to decide among this avalanche every day of things and new things. That just when you think, the teachers have told me this, they say, just when you think that you've got technology figured out, then there's <laughs> 10 new things the next day, right? And then you're back at square one again. So it, it is, it's, uh, uh, you know, what's really good and what's uh, lasting and good, or is it better to do the, um, to mix it up? So what, it's kind of like cooking, right? A recipe type thing when you make your methods up, right? It's a cooking type thing. What would you say 
percentage-wise should be the use of technology versus live, in, you know, in-school in, in learning type things? Hmm, that's a good question. I think really live interaction is the best. I, I do. Um, I think it's the best. And I think it's really good to have student interaction within the class, to have students in pairs and, you know, where it's less inhibiting, you know, um, to talk to just one person. Um, as far as technology, though, I, I think we, we, it's here to stay. Sometimes the students can be overwhelmed with too much technology if, if they're using it in every class. So I, I wouldn't say you have to use it every day. You know, I, I think you need, well, right now we're forced to, but in an, average, in an average class, I would say, you know, a couple times a week, use some kind of technology um, accented learning. Uh, but yeah, I think it can be overwhelming for the students if you use too many different strategies in one class period, for example, or even in one week. Um, you, you also have to learn to kind of gauge your students. You know, you have to, that connection that you should be creating with your students, you should be able to see maybe are they getting overwhelmed? Um, so it is kind of a balancing act, like you said. <laughs> it is. Not, it's kind of like <laughs> cooking, right? You, exactly. The recipe, you have to get things right or the recipe doesn't turn out good, you know. And uh, you have to add a little of this and a little of that. But I do like what you said about the interaction and the student student-centered classroom, right? And I, I think that we, the big thing we got to watch for teaching is to make sure that the kids learn how to think, you oh. know, on their own, think on their own, create on their own, and have a chance, as you mentioned a while ago, to do the realia and to do these projects or get in groups and, and work in pairs and that they learn how to deal with people working in pairs and, uh, and uh, per, because it, when they get out and work in the in in their job, whatever it is, they're going to have to work with a team. You know, the yeah. team, the teamwork idea, and all those type of things are very important in the live, the liveness, the 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 reality of it all. Right, the mm -hmm. real connection, connection, socializing with other people. Right, that's so right. important. I think that's what we've missed with um, the. Uh, virtual online stuff, you know, and it's okay and it's good and it's good, but it isn't an end all in itself, right? And it's, it, we have to remember what it is and it's artificial intelligence. It isn't like we're live, right? Where we're talking and having to, to, to do things live and it, it's good and it's good, but not as good as live, right? I, and that's how I feel about it. Nothing replaces the live part, right? Where the kids are involved, they're talking to other people, communicating in another language, etc. And I think that's really, really significant with that. Um, so, um, any at any rate, um, you have any special tips that you want to tell the teachers? You talked about uh, earlier mm -hmm. on. Can you repeat your three tips again? Okay, sure. Um, I think teachers have to try to cultivate within themselves and within their classroom a feeling of curiosity, you know, about the language, about the culture, about uh, the learning of the language. Um, I think they also um, need to cultivate this idea of being creative in themselves and in students and 
using what they have around them because as I said, the budget's not gonna be there for them necessarily. And students um, you know, also can, can show their creativity and that helps them connect. If you have a student who's musical, for example, um, I used to have those students bring their guitar and when we were at Christmas time, they would you know, play along when we would sing Christmas carols in Spanish. So it helps connect when you, if you're not creative in some area, then see if a student is. You so know? That's, that goes back to Howard Gardner, remember? Gardner mm -hmm. and his, uh, all of his classifications and how, but it worked, it worked, and it works on everything, remember? You know, take advantage of your techie people that love technology. Take advantage of your musicians, the people in the band, the athletes, take advantage of the athletes. Take advantage of the uh, singers and the people who can sing, the poets in the classroom. And, and that is, I'm glad you brought that up. It's something we forget a lot about, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think about Gardner as much as I used to, you know, with when I'm planning and things, but you need to think about it. You know, you need to think, how are you going to interest all these people in class, right? You got 15, 20 people. How are you going to interest them if they all have different interests? And that's, um, but the, what was the name of that book? The Howard Gardner book? I can't remember the title. Terrible about book names. I'm, uh, I'm terrible too, but I can't remember. But Howard Gardner was the guru of all that business. Remember, you have yeah. to interest everybody. And you offer little things every day. You try to make everything a little bit different and, and, uh, and of course, it was very student-centered as well. Debbie, thank you so much for being on the show. The time's by. We've done 57 minutes, almost 58 minutes, right, of the interview. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I will let you know when this post, and, and for the listeners, um, everybody have a great day, the great rest of the day. And... Uh, Debbie y yo vamos a entonces vamos a despedir entonces despedirnos de este grupo en uh, no vemos en otro otro día en otro día no vemos de, Debbie tú quieres decir algo en español al final si quieres charlar un poquito oh boy espero que tenga buen buen día excelente <laughs> que de, muy bien Que descansen ustedes, and everybody have a good time. And the next time, we got a techie coming up on the next show you won't want to miss. And she's phenomenal. And I met her in Madrid, and she is, I've never seen anybody that could know all this about technology. It's one of these rare people. And she, everything she does is centered around the iPhone and, and uh, all these apps and teaching too so it's it's going to be fun to hear her talk and uh, what how some of the great uh, neat things that she does in the classroom uh debbie again thank you and uh we'll be in touch okay and oyentes thank you so much for being with us and uh we also will be in touch at another time thank you all for being here <laughs>